0: Guys, welcome to Timeless Truths, our men's Bible study excursion through the book of 1 John. And we are honored tonight to have Rick Hicks here with us. Rick is a brother like no other, has a real spirit of excellence in everything he does. He's a 150-percenter kind of person. He's traveled all over the world. He's taught in Korea. He's been a YWAMR in Europe, and he has traveled by vehicles from Cape Town of South Africa, all the way up to the border of Sudan on a missionary excursion. He is a serious Royals fan, and is very excited right now. So Rick, we turn it to you, my brother. Come right on and bring us the word. Thank you, Pastor.
1: Can we just start praying? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for favor. Um, God, even when we don't see favor in our lives, you're so for us. I thank you for this epistle. This letter, Jesus' name, you look at the first epistle of, or the first the first epistle of John, and if you look at it, it's nice and you know you've got your your verse, then you get to first John two twelve and fourteen, and it's like it's like John stops what he's doing and writes a poem. Mm-hmm. But think about John was the beloved disciple. And here John is sitting all by himself at the end of his life. His best friend isn't there. His brother's gone. All the other disciples have have been martyred, gone off. You know, Thomas died in India. We can all read, let's all read them out loud together the next, the second page. Because we've all got the New King James Version. Let's just read it out loud together. I write to you, little children. Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. As I was listening to different commentators and reading some of the commentaries that are out there, and and some of them are attached, and we're not going to go through them, but they're just there for your own information. I think this, in my own opinion, and and I found some commentators that were agreeing with me, um, I see this as kind of a two-part poem, that John is writing this to the church as a whole, to new converts, lifelong believers, and warriors in the faith. So the new converts are the little children, the lifelong believers are the old men, and the warriors in the faith are the young men. So even in this room, if we look around, not pointing any fingers, but technically probably down the hall, we've got the, the new converts, the little children, we've got the young men, and I'm kind of at the... And then we have the the more senior members. So in the natural, you've got the three, we've got the three categories. And, but you have to, you have to think of it too, when Pastor Robert Morris was talking about grace in one of his teachings, he said that people move, you're full of, you're full of God when you get saved. And then so as you age in your faith, not physically age, but as you increase in your faith, you know, the enemy's coming in fighting tooth and nail. So you've kind, you've constantly got to keep your, your lamp lit, your oil filled, the water in your cup. So it's like we move in and out. I don't really think we move in and out of these categories, but I I think John is really addressing to to remind the the, the old men in the faith. You've known the faith from the beginning. You've lived it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Young men, fight the good fight. The enemy's out there and the new converts, you're the little children. And if we if we think of and it's really funny, I went to the didn't know this would play in, but went to the airport today to watch the the whale, the A three eighties that have started flying to Dallas. You would think everybody out there was a little kid. You know, they're all looking up, you know, the people are just You know, people see, or a bullet train shoots by, or a new car, you've got, you know, guys' toys, or the new phone. And so people, and I think even John, we can look at this whole passage is, treat your faith like a new child. We were talking in the singles ministry last week. We need to read the stories, read Jonah like you've never read Jonah before. Read the story of Deborah, read the story of Samson, because we can sit there and we go... Yeah, the the three Hebrew children they get saved from the fiery furnace and and everything's wonderful, but read it like a suspense story. What is going to happen here? Read the gospel. You know, is Jesus is Jesus going to rise? You know, read the gospels. Is Jesus going to rise from the dead? I mean, we sit there, we go, yeah, Jesus cried in the garden. Da da da, da, da. Yeah, he rose from the dead. Praise God, glory. But if we treat ourselves like a brand new the little child. Where you're learning these things for the first time, and it, it really gives you a whole new perspective on what the Gospels are saying, what John is saying. And I, I really, and in my own reading, I thought, well, you know, because he's saying it twice. If you read, if you read this, these three verses, he repeats himself. So, he, and usually, if you repeat yourself. I said no, I said no. It's for emphasis, you're emphasizing something. So he's, again, he's saying to the new believer, to the lifelong believer, to the warrior in the faith, to remain overcomers. John begins his writings with a common theme, and the common theme is Jesus. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which is Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, with our hands handled concerning the word of life. And that revelation, and I, I'm thinking that like the first, second, and third John, it's still, we can treat it like one big, so I didn't include those. And then the book of Revelation, one, one through three, the revelation of Jesus Christ, he starts out the book of Revelation, Jesus. So his three writings, I'm not counting two and three of first John, but John First John and Revelation start out with Jesus, and that's John's focus. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay.
1: And if you look at, at the at the different commentators and they're as they're talking about the different and they're defining because, you know, I'm sitting here going, reading this, going, is this this, is this this simple? You've got little children, old men, young men. Is this this simple? Yeah, it is, because if you take it as people, but you can also take the three verses as the church, and usually, and I, I picture this: if we have a three, a three chord, you know, one chord, two chords, a little harder, but the three, the three chords. So if if you've got these, where you, you've got the the young men, young people coming in, and I don't think Mel, Melvin's not here, but Melvin would probably be fit in the category of young man because he's coming in as a new believer. And you see these you see these people that are new converts, and they just want to. They've got their notepads out. They're writing. They're writing everything down. They want to learn. They want to learn what is, and it's just like they're they're a sponge. And what John is saying to the young men, you're the, you're the warriors. You're going out and you're fighting the battle, and the battle is the enemy. You're fighting the devil. Keep the faith. And then the young men, the old men, remember your salvation. Remember your conversion. Remember who died for you. You're at the end of your days. Remember why you're in this fight. Any thoughts?
3: Your three chord examples, pretty amazing. If you think about the three groups of people, how they're all interdependent upon each other—the the old man encouraging the young man to fight the battle—we've been there. We've seen it. You know, we know it's true. The young man um, fighting the battle, everybody being, you know, amazed at how they're walking in the, in the spirit, and then we all rejoice over the new believer, and that encourages all of us.
1: You're right, and I, I have to really catch myself if I'm in a group because I've I've grown up, grown up since six. You got saved at a young age, grew up in the faith. So a lot of these things, it's it's old news. I hate saying that. You know, it's old. It's been I've been there, done that, heard the stories. But then when you're telling somebody, you can't just race over race over something. And that's where the, the old man in the faith, doesn't necessarily mean an old person, but an old, an old soul can be refreshed and revived. Like you take the sponge, you take the hard sponge, and what do you do? You pour water on it. The water of the Word, it just like it comes back to life.
3: I, I read a footnote the other day as I was preparing, and it was referring to that could be the mature and the immature, using father and child. Yeah, not necessarily how old we are, just how mature we are in the faith. I,
0: I like the, the three-fold court approach that we all need that. Um, you talked about re, regaining the sense of wonder, like when you read the the book of Jonah, like as though you never read it for the first time. This is why new believers are so important. Uh, um, not just the church grows, but they strengthen our faith. Like Mel is just discovering yeah. all kinds of stuff. I spent most of the a good part of the day with him, and it's just awesome. Uh, I remember years ago, Mark Gomez uh, showed up, at, when he was a new believer, showed up at small groups and said, look at this verse I found today. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, I mean, it was just coming alive to him. And those of us that have known it from childhood by heart was
3: like, wow, yeah,
1: this is good. You know, and I, you know, Tom opened his heart and, and, you know, I've had a pretty rough, (laughs) rough uh, couple of years or more plus. And as I'm sitting there going, I was just sitting there at my computer and this song was playing, I thought, what a way to start the it's like this is John's how wonderful, how marvelous. And I can and I've really struggled with this. I can believe for you, but I'm struggling to believe for me. It's like God, what are you doing? Why am I in this situation? I can believe. And I and it's it is so dumb, but maybe we need to practice it more, but even as we're watching a sporting event and, and I just sat there and go, God I'm and look at sports differently. And I wasn't cheering for them to win, to win. But I, I said, the cur- it's time for the curse to be over. 29 years, you know, whether people have damned the team, you know, they go out, you blankety blank, you blankety, you know, and people doing this and that. But it's time to pray. Just like we're praying for the nations in church, we need to be praying for our athletes. We need to be praying for our coworkers. We need to be praying for our Facebook friends or people that we actually come into contact with that are our friends. The pastor's favorite joke is, well, I went to his funeral he had so many just two of us are here He said, well, he had so many Facebook friends you know it's like yeah we if we're living in a virtual world, turn that around and turn it into when these people this Newsfeed is popping up. People are all the time. so I've been diagnosed with cancer. My wife's been going through this and that. And if we if we turn our social media or our interaction, we're shopping at Walmart. You know, you're thinking, oh brother, I gotta have, to, I gotta buy this. Even praying as we're walking in the store, it is amazing who God is going to bring across your path. Even the checker that's having the worst day ever. And just your smile, and I'm preaching to myself. You know, you you don't feel like I don't want to be a minister right now. And but having that, having that Christ, you're you're taking Jesus with you everywhere you go, and sharing the good news. Because if if we turn it around and say if we realize that the end is near, it gives you kind of a, it gives you a whole new perspective on what really matters. That. You know, people are dying and going to hell. And I think John is really focusing on that as a church and as individuals. We need to bring in the new converts and we need to, the, the young men, need to keep the fight, keep the fight going, fight the enemy and the old men. Don't lose faith. And the whole point of, and, and the last page on this is Matthew Henry's concise commentary, is Christians have their peculiar states, they have peculiar duties. But there are precepts and obedient, common to all, mutual love. And the message of 1 John is love. And the message in John, because he is the disciple whom Jesus loved, the most powerful book, you'll see it, <laughs> I haven't seen it late, we may see it in the playoffs, the, the person that sits behind home plate with their, their red wig and John 3.16, you know, people look, oh, it's just some nutcase. But that is a powerful man. For God so loved the world that he gave. And he gave, I don't have children, but imagine you giving your child. You gave. And Jesus, Jesus swept great drops of blood in the garden. He wasn't praying that the cross be taken away from him. Jesus knew when Adam and Eve sinned Jesus knew right then what he would have to do. He would have to take be the bridge to bring man and God back together. So when people say, "Well, Jesus was in the garden weeping drops of blood because he wanted to he didn't want to die on the cross." No, because Jesus said, "For this reason, he told his parents when he was a little 12 years old, I have to be about my father's business." his father's business was to redeem man to himself and so John's message is love his whole his his gospel is love this book is love don't forget loving each other sharing love with each other witnessing giving yourself i mean that was John's message and and John was so emphatic that we've got to love each other, and I think when you've got the old, you've got the three different categories as individuals, but you also have the three different categories in the in the body of Christ. And he's not, and this is not addressed. Th- these three verses, this this poem that John wrote, is not addressed to everybody. It is addressed specifically to the church. It's specific. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to everybody. He says he's talking to th- to People of faith, the, the new converts, the medium convert, the people that have been there and they're fighting the battle, and then the people that have they're at the, feel like they're at the end of their journey. Jump in, anybody. I'm all about discussion.
3: I agree. <laughs> it's kind of what I have got out of it, you know, as as I was reading those. Passages that, yeah. I mean, you're talking to a, a specific group, but uh, my question is uh, probably a group question: Is what letter came first? Do we know? I couldn't in my references in that. I, you know, is the, the main Gospel of John or are these letters, which came first? They were all written at the end of his age, and, and it's. Uh, I, I, I felt a degree of of John sitting there too, trying to write to these people. And, and you know, was he frustrated? Because look, I, I I've written to you. Uh. Here I, I'm doing it again. I, you know, it's like get this. Get and this.
1: and John John sat there. I mean, John literally John literally did this. I mean, he's sitting he's sitting at the table. And Peter's like Peter's John, who's he talking to John, get Jesus you know, he's he Peter's sitting there telling John something, and so, you know, John's probably sitting there and here's Jesus and so Jesus is looking at John. I mean they had now did did John run away? Yes. But John was back at the cross and who did and Jesus respected John so much, he hands his mother over to him, and so John took care of his mother. I mean Jesus, and John saw Jesus' love, and John got it. And you're you're right. John John's probably like, you, you thick, you thick heads. You know what's your problem? You, you know you're, you're you're thick, but John, in the, in this poem, he's saying, don't give up, keep the faith, fight fight the battle.
0: I, when I look at this, I kind of I don't want to say di- dissect it, but re kind of rearrange it. The state the two statements made to the young men, I look at those. Two statements made to the children, I look at those. Two statements made to the old men, I look at those. So to the children, he said, verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And then the last uh, couple lines there of verse 13, he says again, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. And so when I see that, I realize that the first thing a young believer has to know is their sins are forgiven. Uh, that's how we become believers, but it's important as believers to know our sins are forgiven because young believers are going to mess up as they learn to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They have to know their sins are forgiven for his name's sake, not for their name's sake, not because of their worthiness, but because of who he is. Their sins are forgiven. So knowing this is important for a new believer. And so the new believers in our midst, we've got to make sure they know that. And the second statement made to them, I write to you little children because you've known the Father. It's important for them to know God as their Father. He's their Father. Fathers don't just throw their kids away. Fathers grieve when when their kids are distanced from them. And then writing to the young men, he says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. And then again, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So he's stressing to to uh, not new believers but to young believers that overcoming the wicked one is important. He's affirming their victory and overcoming the wicked one, and their strength uh, is through the, letting the Word of God abide in them. You're strong, and the Word of God abides in you forever. So he's reminding them of those key Elements to victory of overcoming the wicked one is allowing the Word of God to abide in you, which is how Christ overcome Satan Mm -hmm. at his temptation. It is written. And then the two statements that are identical to the old man. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. What is this about? Well, it's all about knowing God, and don't get down on yourselves because you're old. It's all about knowing Him who's from the beginning. You think you're old? God's a yeah, old, ancient. He's the ancient of days. So all of this boils down to knowing God. Anyway, that, that's how it makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. And I and as I was reading this, going, <laughs> is this this simple?
3: <laughs>
1: I'm reading these. You know, it's you know the people that have spoken the last several weeks these profound teachings and then this poem pops up in the middle of his in the middle of his book and I'm going is this this simple and then you start listening to people that pastors and teachers that are writing about these three verses together yes it is that simple amen and you you brought up the about the fathers it gives you another whole perspective of The prodigal son when he's coming he says well at least I can go back and eat better than I'm eating now I could be my father's servants eat better than I'm eating right now where was the father the father was out there watching the father wasn't sitting at home surfing the web or checking his email he was out at the corner of his field watching and waiting, and it, and it, and it, it almost brings into the whole aspect that if the fathers in the church are watching the little ones coming in, and it really shows you how these three groups just fit. Did
4: I understand, uh, uh, Alan, to say that you were in Wyoming at one time?
1: I did a summer of service.
4: Summer of service. Well, a Christian, of course, grew up in YWAM, and I'm a YWAM. And their their motto is to know God and to make Mm -hmm. Him known. And uh, I I don't think even YWAMers understand the uh, the profound significance and centrality of that in terms of knowing God. What you were saying now, in our day, and and there's uh, incredible diversions. What? (laughs) uh, subversion, <laughs> away from knowing God to where uh, people, for instance, there are those who worship the word, uh, not that not that word, this written word, uh, and and it becomes an end in itself. And if you just work the word, if they just get in the word, you know, there's these things, you know, and it's not get into the mind of Christ. It's not to get Christ into your heart it's not to know God. It's, it's this worship of the word. And then there's people who worship worship. I mean we have Bible churches down the road that worship the Word in one way where everything is just the extreme exegesis of the Word and you'll get you'll get it, you'll get it, you just get, you know, the truth of the Word. But there isn't the understanding of getting to know God through the Word. Getting to to, to be at one with God in your heart and your mind through the Word. And then there are those, you know, who, who want to manipulate God with the word. You know, you'll find these, these magic phrases and you work magic with the word and, and get God to do this for you, the desires of you've heard. I actually heard heard a preacher say recently in a local church that God wants you to have your will. Is that what scripture says? He said that. Quote, God wants you to have your will. Not to have his will, but to have happy, your
3: will.
4: Yeah. Why? Because if you're at one with God in your mind and you have God's mind, then you he wants you to have the desires of your heart, and so he wants you to have your will. That's the same as his will. It becomes, and, and, and it's a, a, you know, a spin,
3: a twist. And if
1: you sure. look at this, where he's with the fathers, because the young the, the children and the young men are given two different things. But the fathers are given one thing Mm. twice.
3: Mm.
1: And he's saying, Don't you know what was you know your faith. You know, you grew up, John's telling him, you grew up learning from Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah. You learned from these. Don't exchange. Don't turn it into something else. Something else. And I grew up at a church in full faith in kansas city and and the motto of the church was to know him and to make him known uh-huh, uh-huh. just like YWAM. and yes, and, and where you' where you're and i I, t- I asked pastor i said I'd i'd love for him to ask this question uh, to people, why do you come to church so i asked let's take a survey why do you come to church anybody in the room why do you come the generations what's your purpose why do you come And they have an answer? I come
5: to worship God.
1: And bingo, that's the right answer. You come, we come to church, well, I don't want to go. What's
3: that to do
1: with it? Yeah. But Jesus, you know, how many churches in America are people going to church? Well, the nursery's great, the worship's great, the teaching's great, they the pastor talks to me. The pastor doesn't talk to me. Um, they have I too many pastors.
5: Like me if I
1: don't go. Yeah, I uh I, my parents will hate me if I don't go, I'm being dragged. But we're sitting here going Jesus is like, uh, hello. Yeah. And we're we and one of the commentators, I don't know if it's printed but one of the commentators was talking about the drops of blood that Jesus was crying were for, for his church, for his bride that don't, you know, Jesus, Jesus knew the future. He wasn't weeping in the garden because he was going to be crucified. Part of it is he didn't want to, and maybe God kept this from him, maybe he didn't, but Jesus was going to be separated from the first time ever. Jesus and God had never, and I saw it, maybe it was a white worm production years ago, or somewhere but uh, somebody was doing a uh, a a drama and had God and Jesus creating the world together and they were picturing the two of them together um but God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit had never been separated but here at the gar at at the cross the Holy Spirit and God the Father were going to turn their back on Jesus but Jesus went for it because he knew he knew the end result was that he was going to restore God the, the people to their Father, to, to Father God, and, and that's if we if we look at this, if we look at coming to church and being fellowshipping in this group. Well, I don't want to come. That person, I, I don't like that person the way they talk. But you know, if, the, if you're coming, well, Jesus, what are, what do you want me to receive? and we were Tom and I were having a discussion once and just telling pastor there was a a group um particular church leader who they're they're kind of changing the model of their format of a particular <coughs> service and they they didn't have time to prepare and i'm thinking um, are you not reading your bible every day tom could be tom could be in the book of luke Matt Matt could be in Romans, I could be in Song of Solomon, Christian could be in Proverbs. You know what? We're all probably going to have something to say. And you know what? They'll probably all hit the same point because that's how the Holy Spirit works is you could be reading, you know, pastors preaching, was preaching on the book of John for a number of weeks and maybe we're reading through different, different books of the Bible, but there's still, oh yeah, I was reading that. Same story in the in right. one of the other Gospels. And that's how the Holy Spirit works. And that's part of what we need to be in season. You know, John lived it. John was in season. And he's telling the church, you know, for the fathers to stay, to be in season. You know, you're walking into Walmart. You're walking into H-E-B. You're walking into Kroger's. You have no clue who God's going to be right across your path and um robert moore shared a great story he was so sick and went to the uh went to the local pharmacy i guess the, i guess he lives in south lake but he was sharing this story he was so sick and had to get his medicine so we drove through and i i don't know if he was in the drive through window or at the inside the counter but the person robert Morris, could have not shown christian love and right at the end of the transaction, the the girl said, "I loved your sermon Sunday." Imagine if Robert Morris, or put put any fill in the blank ex teacher. Imagine if you're walking, you're walking, and you're, oh, I'm the I'm the first Baptist preacher, or I'm the first Methodist preacher, you know, da da da, and and think. What, how are you living your life? What story are you, you know? Christian and I are both love doing video and film. What story are you telling? Just walking through your life, and and I think the story that John is telling here is be in season all the time.
2: Anybody else? I think. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things about John kind of shifting into that poetic mode here and to underscore what you were talking about um, and yeah, really um, like in the reference to young men in Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word with my whole heart I have sought you oh let me not wander from your commandments and I think that This is just really a parallel to what John is writing in this epistle as well. You know, we're going to seek God with our whole heart. It's going to be based on his word and his commandments, but we're going to be seeking him. And and the reference to the young men is very remarkable in that parallel. I think think John was probably thinking about this psalm when he wrote this.
3: thinking about the, and we we do, we tend to, and rightfully so, we'll say, we'll basically judge someone's age based on how long we think they're going to live. So, you don't look at someone that's young and and say, you would still say they were young, even if you knew they were going to die when they were seven, that's how we do it. Right. And when I was... Listening to y'all's comments, I was thinking about uh, when he calls them little children and young men and fathers, maybe it's not so much their age, or maybe it's not even so. It's where they're at in their walk, because little children always mess up, and you have to keep correcting. So maybe when he's saying little children, he's talking to Christians that, no matter how long they've been a Christian, they're still falling down and getting up. So they need to be reminded, God's forgiving of your sins, regardless of how. You know, for the ones that are the young men, I think those are the ones that, you know, it's hard for them, they're still fighting it, but they're not giving in to it. And then they're overcoming the truth.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good. Amen.
3: Because I didn't expect being a child of God until I was 40 what you just said uh, made no sense and everything I've heard about. It. Pertaining to me. Uh, because <laughs> I became an uh an infant. An orphan, uh, and uh oh, God, you
5: know, half a century ago so, almost. <laughs> Two things. One is uh you know, as Christ told us if we had the faith of little children we would know what he wanted. You know, and this speaks to that. The other part is, you know, this is about 60 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And it's 20 years after the destruction of the temple and the whole city of Jerusalem. And the Jews have been dispersed by the Romans. And he's still, he's the last of the disciples. He's the last one. He knows he's the last one. And yet he, he still hasn't had the revelation. Of Christ in the Book of Revelation yet, because that came, my thinking that came after John and after First John, Second John, Third John. That was the last book that he wrote um, on the Isle of Patmos. But he he still has the same passion and and love and commitment he's had ever since the empty tomb. In those sixty years since then, it has he's not given up the fight himself either. So he's speaking from a point of an example as as uh I'm do I'm still doing this, even at ninety AD, I'm still doing this and and I'm in
1: my nineties. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine John sitting there when he's writing his own gospel thinking, oh, was I ever a dumb 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 Sitting there with my brother James, and we were, we were, we, we were making ourselves. Years. We were going to be the greatest. He was, he's writing his, he's writing his own testimony. Yeah. Thinking, you know, as, a, as an old man, he's sitting here going, oh, you know, I, I'm happy to write my life story. Yeah. And imagine John going, oh, was I that? Was I
3: that? I thick don't. Thick I don't, don't do think like he
0: that. included that in his
1: book. No.
3: I thought, I I thought he I think the other
0: guys told on yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. We'll have to check that out, prove me wrong. Anyway. You know, he begins this book without an introduction. Just begins to declare the glory of Jesus and then begin his words of instruction. And so here in chapter two, which of course he didn't write in chapters, he begins to tell these guys, I'm writing to you guys because I'm writing to you guys this is his address to Old men, young men, and children. This is this is the address, and now he's going to launch off into another a round of instruction. So it it gets real exciting.
1: Pastor, do you agree that some some commentators, it's almost like this poem is the binder, where you've got one teaching on one side, and then a new, but it's a common.
3: Yeah, I think so. He's just like, uh,
0: he's preaching, you know. Oh, yeah, and I'm writing to you guys. Listen to me. Yeah, it's good. I love it.